Well, turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Romans. It's a good thing I cut my sermon in half last week. We can get another half a sermon in here today. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 12 is where we hope to spend our time in God's Word this morning. As you're turning to Romans chapter 15, I'll put a well-worn quote up here on the screen for us. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. While this is a true statement, I think it's worn out its welcome with me. Everyone seems to like this, but I think most of us don't understand the truth of this statement. I think this statement has been abused by many self-seeking preachers to try to gather a following of people around themselves instead of a following of people who are genuinely united for the truth. What do I mean by that? In essentials unity and non-essentials liberty and all things charity is a great statement. It's a true statement. However, you have to ask questions about statements like this. Anytime a statement becomes a watchword for the church, you have to challenge the assumptions. Ask, what do we mean by what we're stating here? Essential to what? What exactly are we trying to accomplish? What is our goal? If you're going to determine what is essential and non-essential, well, then you better be pretty sure what your mission is. And if you don't know what your mission is, then you don't know what is essential to that mission. Right? What is our mission? Is our mission to get 500 people worshiping here on a Sunday morning? No, that's not our mission. Is our mission to have a multi-staff, successful-looking ministry? That's not our mission. If that's your mission, then what is essential to that mission is very different from what is essential to the mission of Jesus Christ. The mission of Jesus Christ is given to us in Matthew chapter 28. You probably know it well. Jesus told his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So what is the commission? What is our mission? What are we accomplishing in the world? We are making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not just getting sinners out of hell. We're not just gathering a congregation of people who like to sing songs together. We are making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what is essential to discipleship is actually the question. Now so often this phrase, in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty, it's used as if what is essential is what is essential for personal salvation. What is the bare minimum that someone has to believe in order to be saved? That's normally what people are talking about when they're talking about essentials and non-essentials. And so the call for unity that comes forth to the church is all that we're going to teach all that we're going to stand upon, the only doctrine that we're willing to defend is the doctrine that is necessary for someone to believe in order to have personal salvation. But is that the mission that Jesus Christ gave us? You have to stop. You have to question. You have to think. Essential to what? God's mission is to build a community of disciples. And so if a truth is essential for a healthy community, then that is a truth that we must be willing to defend, that we must be willing to teach, that we must be willing to talk about and even argue about amongst one another in love. Because Jesus didn't tell us, go into all the world and get people saved. 
he told us to teach them to observe all that I have commanded. And if we are not teaching the disciples to obey all that Jesus Christ has commanded, then we are essentially failing our mission. Now, there's division in the church, not because of truth. Truth does not divide people. Believing lies is what causes division. When someone believes a lie and someone believes the truth, they're not walking together, they're not united. It's easy to talk about unity. It's hard to accomplish. Many of our politicians who have run on a platform of unity have created some of the most division that our country has ever seen. It's easy to talk about unity. It's hard to actually unite people because people actually have different beliefs. People have actually different values, different goals. They're living their lives according to different standards. Say you take two great football coaches and you put them together and you say, you guys are both going to lead this football team. And one coach has his method, his program, his ideas, and his plans, and he's bringing that. And the other coach has a totally different method, a totally different program. You're going to end up with a lot of confused teammates. Do we listen to what this guy says or what this guy says? Because they're saying different things and you can't obey two masters. So it's easy to say, oh, look, we're united, we're, we're working together. But it's hard to actually make it work. Because one of the coaches is going to have to say, you're right, we'll do it your way. And neither one is willing to do so. And so we've got these pastors running around who are saying they're all about unity and what they're really doing is they're creating a Christianity that is devoid of doctrine and is only preaching what they think is what is necessary for someone to be saved and to be able to come and worship in their church on a Sunday morning. That's not the mission. We don't want people that are here that think that they're saved and have an experience of worship but are not true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are they being trained by our great coach in heaven how to play and win the game of life? That's what a church is. It trains people how to think, how to act, how to raise a family, how to work in the world. All things moral, all things practical. It's all here in the book. And we can't say, well, some Christians think this and some Christians think that, so we're just not going to talk about it. That's leaving the sheep without a shepherd. And the shepherds don't want a shepherd because the sheep don't want to be shepherded. And they'll come and they'll give money to the churches that are not teaching doctrine and they're promoting that in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. And it sounds so good, but God hates it. God hates it when the shepherds of the church are not shepherding the sheep when they're not fulfilling the Great Commission to teach God's people to observe all that Jesus Christ has commanded. So be careful that you don't just pick up a saying that sounds good, and it is good if you understand what our mission is, then yes, essentials, unity, non-essentials, liberty. All things charity. I'm all for charity. But think. Don't let other people hoodwink you. We've been talking about unity here in Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 14. That's the key mark of these chapters. And unity is a strong emphasis throughout the New Testament. 
that if you're in a church that is not preaching unity, you're in a church that's not preaching the New Testament because that's one of the highest goals of the New Testament is to bring Christians to unity. But the only way to get to real unity is through hard work. Hard work. Do you think if we tried to join churches with the Living Life Reformed Church in town, it would be easy? We just show up, worship together on Sunday morning. You like to sing songs, I like to sing songs. Great, everything will be fine. Well, yeah, that's the easy part. We can do that in the park, you know, in the summer. But when it comes down to, are you going to baptize babies or are you not going to baptize babies? What are you going to teach about this passage? How are you going to teach the book of Revelation? How is the church supposed to be governed? Those are decisions that you have to make a choice on. You can't just say you're united. You actually have to walk together. And so saying you're united but not walking together is just fooling yourself. So yeah, we're not in unity in some ways with the other church in town. And there's reasons for that. Because we've got a long way to go if we could ever achieve that kind of unity and it's going to take a lot of hard work. And we don't just throw up our hands and say, oh well, it is what it is. Jesus Christ has taught us, he's commanded us, to be unified in the truth. Not going to be easy, but it's a goal that is worth working for. And it's a goal that's worth sacrificing for. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about genuine unity. You see, so often the unity that the church has, it's a facade, it's a show. There's no real unity there. And when Christian leaders start to talk about what's a primary issue, what's a secondary issue, and what's a tertiary, third-level doctrinal issue... Very often, what they're doing is they're just finding a way to say that something's not important enough for us to discuss because it's too uncomfortable to discuss it, because it's too hard to come to an agreement and a conclusion. And so we don't want to be uncomfortable, we don't want to work hard, so we'll just say, not important. Now, the, the doctrine of the Scripture is important. And until we have church leaders who are willing to do the hard work who are willing to humble themselves, who are willing to put themselves under the authority of Scripture, under the Lord of the church, we won't have unity. There'll be a measure of unity. I'm not saying there's no unity. We have goodwill. But yet, we have to go our separate ways. They do their thing, we do our thing, because we can't agree on how the Bible tells us how to do it. All right. So let's get into our text then today. Here's our outline from last week. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. We just got through the first four verses, the first two points in our outline, talking about the importance of pursuing what edifies the church and following the example of Christ who was willing to suffer in the will of God. If you're going to have unity, you're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to be willing to give some things up. It's not all going to be your way. And so Jesus Christ didn't have his way but he instead gave up a lot and suffered in order to create a family that is united in Christ. Now, when we come to chapter 15, I want to go ahead and just read verses 1 through 13 to refresh our memory on the first four verses and introduce what we're going to be looking at in verses 5 through 13. Follow along in your Bibles. We who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, 
that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing praise to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What an encouraging passage. What a joyful passage. The focus on unity here is so strong in verses 5 through 7. Unity, unity, unity. Let's look at some of the terms here that Paul uses to encourage us. He says, as kind of a prayer wish, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. So this harmony that Paul is praying for the church in Rome is literally thinking the same thing, being like-minded. This doesn't mean that we agree on everything, but it means that we have a common purpose. To be in harmony doesn't mean that we are all the same, because that's not what a harmony is. A harmony is different notes that come together to create something that is beautiful, something that is harmonious. So this is not a call to groupthink, but it's a call to work together. That's the idea. And so even as our church and the Living Life Reformed Church have differences in how the church is supposed to function, government-wise, practice, we can still work together in areas where we can work together. Where the areas where we can't work together, we can try to work towards a common understanding where we are able to work together. So we don't have to agree on everything, but we do have to have a common purpose. Our common purpose drives us to want to reach agreement on the commandments of the Lord. How does the Lord Jesus Christ want his church to function? That's the question. The question isn't, how has our church been functioning? The question isn't, what is our tradition? The question isn't, what is my preference? The question is, how does the Lord Jesus Christ want his church to be run? And that's one answer. He's not divided in his thinking. He's not divided in his mind. Jesus Christ has a will. He's a person. You know him. I know him. It shouldn't be that hard for us to do what he wants to do together. And yet it is. Because we're so fleshly. We're so immature. We're so weak. And so we've got to grow, we've got to encourage, we've got to strengthen, we've got to do the things that make for mutual upbuilding of one another so that we can come to the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith that helps us to know what the will of God is so we can walk in it. Not all being carbon copies of each other, but all being harmonious, working together in concert with the different abilities that God has given to each one of us for a purpose, a common purpose.
This like-mindedness is mentioned earlier in Romans. Come back to Romans chapter 12, a couple pages back. You've got in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, what I call the commands of love, one after the other. These commands of love come right at us. And one of these commands in verse 16 is the same as what he says in chapter 15. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be discordant in the church. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. Notice how this command is couched in a group of commands that are all very similar. They're all commands of love. It starts off in verse 9 with, let love be genuine. It's not enough for Christians to say they love each other. It's not enough for a preacher to get up and talk about how much he loves the church and how much unity he wants in the church while every decision he makes is designed to promote himself. Love has to be genuine. It has to be like Jesus Christ who is willing to lay down his life. I should rather die than do something that's going to promote discord in the church and take the church out of God's will. Love is genuine or love is nothing. And so as we love one another, we are rejoicing with those who rejoice. We're weeping with those who weep. This is part of being in harmony. You come into a group of Christians who have had some tragedy and some sorrow, you enter into their mourning with them. That's part of being harmonious, not coming in and being discordant. And so in the same way, if you come into a group of Christians who have had some wonderful blessing and they're rejoicing, you don't come in and rain on their parade. You're matching the spirit of the group in this harmonious like-mindedness. Also, he says, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. The pride that we have, well, I'm offended because you know, I didn't get the respect that I think I deserve. That does not promote the unity. Our pride is going to get in the way of the unity of the church. We're not going to be harmonious when my concern is my pride, my reputation, my honor, instead of being concerned about Christ's honor, your honor, your reputation. And so the love is what is going to create the unity, but love must be genuine. It must be real. It can't just be put on. It can't just be pretended to. And this is not easy. Is it easy for you men to love your wives? Wives, is it easy to love your husbands? Not all the time. It's hard. Is it going to be easy in the church? Well, it's easy if you never have to live with anybody. It's easy if you don't have to do anything with them but say hi on Sunday morning. That's pretty easy. But if you're actually doing something together, if you're actually engaged in some work, then it starts to get harder because there's going to be disagreements. Pride is going to enter in. Our real character is going to show through. So let's not pretend that we are this loving church, but let us pursue that love with sincerity. Also, if you come with me to the book of Philippians, we'll start in Philippians chapter 2. As Paul is writing Romans 15, he's trying to bring together the Jewish element of the church and the Gentile element of the church because they have different beliefs, different practices. That's the burden of Romans 14 and 15. And he knows that the church in Rome is going to face persecution and has faced persecution. And so he's calling on them to be united so that they can have strength 
as God's family to be able to stand against the attacks that are coming against them. We need each other. Sometimes it's easy to fight with one another when we don't feel like we need each other. But once you start to realize how much you need the guy sitting next to you in the trenches, you're not going to be bickering and fighting with him because your life depends upon him and his life depends upon you. And so that's the way it is in the church. And Paul's writing to the Philippians and he's so encouraged how they are standing together in unity even as the world persecutes and hates them. And he's writing to encourage that even more because there's some things that are rising up, some problems that tend to happen when you get sinners together. And he wants to nip that in the bud and get to this unity, make it stronger. So picking up in Philippians chapter 2, we again see Paul referring to Christ's example. In verse 2 he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That is not easy to do, but it is a goal that we have been given. It is what we are to strive for, we are to work for, and it's largely a measure of your spiritual maturity, how much you are able to do this. Don't call a pastor into ministry if he has not demonstrated the ability to have the same love, to be in full accord and of one mind with coworkers. You don't want a self-willed man in the ministry. Doesn't matter how talented he is, doesn't matter how well he can speak, how well he can administrate. Does he know how to be humble in working together with other Christians? That's of utmost importance. Now, here, Paul goes on and talks about the example of Jesus Christ, but we're going to move forward to chapter 4. Come with me to chapter 4, verse 2. Here's where you see one of the problems that's rising in the church a threat to its unity. And he says in Philippians 4, 2, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Here's two women who have labored in the cause of the gospel. Paul is convinced that they are genuine Christians, that they love the Lord, and yet they have come to loggerheads. They need help in getting along and working together for the Lord. And that's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of times where well-meaning people have different ideas and different opinions about how the work is supposed to be done. And then what do you do in that situation? Take the example of Paul and Barnabas. Godly men, some of the the most leading examples in the church, Barnabas held out as being such a loving, encouraging fellow, and Paul being basically the hero of the book of Acts. And yet, they couldn't decide on one issue because they'd had a traveling companion on their first missionary journey who bailed out on them early on. We don't know exactly what his reason was, Barnabas thought it was probably a good enough reason to head back home. Paul probably thought it wasn't a good enough reason to head back home and that John Mark should have stayed with them on that missionary journey. And so they're getting ready for their second missionary journey and Barnabas is saying, well, let's take John Mark with us. You know, he needs another chance to be out in the mission field and I think he's going to do a great job. And and Paul says, no, he bailed on us the first time. We need trustworthy men along with us. We should not take John Mark. And they argued and they fought over it and they couldn't come to a conclusion. Barnabas was adamant, we've got to take John Mark. Paul was adamant, we should not take John Mark. And so what did they do? 
They went different directions. Barnabas went this way with John Mark. Paul took Silas and went that way. They both continued on with the work of the Lord, but they couldn't work together because they disagreed. So you see, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be disagreements. There's going to be times where we cannot see eye to eye. But even in those times, it's important that we carry on with a spirit of love for the Lord and love for one another. I may not think that some pastors in some churches are making the right decision in certain things. That doesn't mean that I write them off and say that they're useless to the Lord. God will be the judge. And I want them to make as much good of their ministry as they can, even if they've screwed up royally, in my opinion. My desire is for them to be fruitful and used of God. I may not be side-by-side side working with them. I might choose to invest my time someplace else. But my desire is not for me or for them. My desire is the increase of the Lord. And so we have to have that heart, that spirit, that harmony. Not agreeing on everything, but having a common purpose. And working together as much as we can. Now, I want to come back to Romans 15 and take a look at the second word here, in verses 5 through 7 on unity. We talked about harmony. The next word is accord. Live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. The accord that we are called to here is coming from a Greek word that I find very interesting because it's come in the philosophy class that I've been teaching with the homeschoolers. There's this word called thumos in the Greek. And thumos is your pride, it's your passion, it's your goal in life. And your pride and your passion and your goal in life can be good or it can be bad. Some people have a, an ungodly ambition. Some people have a godly ambition. There's nothing wrong with ambition. You need to have ambition, but you need to have godly ambition. And here, Paul is calling on us, as the family of God, to have the same ambition the same calling, the same goal, the same thing that we're priding ourselves in and taking joy in accomplishing. Homo thumadon. Homo meaning the same, thumadon meaning your goal, your pride, your ambition, your drive. So we have one drive, we have one goal, we have one ambition, and that is the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Our goal, our ambition is the glory of God in Christ Jesus. I must decrease he must increase, is the heart of the genuine Christian. And it must be the heart of this ministry. I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, if it would be for the glory of God, for us to shut down this church, for all of us to go join another church, and for me to get a job waiting tables, we should do that. Because it's not about me. And it's not about this church. I don't care about our hundred years of tradition. What I care about is the glory of God. And so we've got to be willing to do whatever God asks us to do because we love Him and we don't love our stuff. It's not about me being in a church that I'm comfortable on in Sunday morning. If your Christianity centers on you being in a church that you enjoy on Sunday morning, your Christianity is not good enough. Your Christianity has to be, I love God and I'm going to live my life as a sacrifice for God. And I'm willing to give up anything I have if that's going to bring glory and honor to God. And when the churches have this mindset, then we're going to find that biblical unity. That's the pathway to biblical unity. 
But when I'm seeking my things and they're seeking their things, well, then there's going to be conflict. James tells us about the conflict that happens among Christians in the church. Where do dissensions come from? Where does the strife come from? Where do the rivalries come from in the church? Why is there problems? It's because you have desires in your heart that are not from God. It's the desires of the heart that are not from God that cause the disunity. Speaking the truth doesn't cause disunity. It's evil desire that causes disunity. Let's be clear about that. So we're supposed to have this same drive, this same ambition, the same goal, and that is the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And we can all say that's what we're for, but saying it is not good enough. It has to be genuine. It has to be real in the heart. Let us not put on a show of loving Christ while serving our own interests. Luke was often praising the homothumadon, the accord of the early church. He talks about it in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 5, and also in chapter 15. He's praising the early church because they were of one accord. And notice what it says here in Romans 15 once again. May you live in such harmony with one another in accord with what? With Christ Jesus. In accord with Christ Jesus. How do you know the will, the ambition, the goal, the drive, the pride of Christ Jesus? Well, he tells us it all right here. And the more you conform your thumadon, your desires, your passions, your goal in life, with the passion, the desire of Christ Jesus, the mission of Christ Jesus, then that's where our unity comes from. All right, and then the last one here is that with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice that our united voice, glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, only works when we are living in harmony and in accord with one another. You see that the that in verse 6 is the result of verse 5. That's what that connecting word indicates. That if you do what verse 5 says, if God grants us these blessings, then we will be able with one voice to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. People can have a, a temporary alliance in order to accomplish some goal that they want to accomplish for themselves. You know, this is how political alliances are formed. This group and this group, they've got a goal they can agree with in common, and even though they disagree on many things and hate one another for other reasons, they can work together on this one goal, and then once they get that goal accomplished, well, then they can start fighting amongst themselves for what else they want to accomplish. And that is an alliance of the flesh. And that's not true unity. There's no true unity between the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's only a temporary friendship. And so in the church, we're not just making temporary alliances of, well, we can pursue a mutual goal. I've got this goal, you've got that goal, and so we can use each other to accomplish our goals. But instead, we have goals that are from Jesus Christ, and he's not divided in his will. He's not divided in his mind. And if we have the mind of Christ, then we will not be seeking our own things, but we will be intent on one purpose. So it's only through Jesus Christ that this is accomplished. It can't be accomplished in the flesh. All right, then take a look at verse 7. Verse 7 puts an end cap on the call for unity that began all the way back in chapter 14, verse 1. He says, Therefore, welcome one another. I think therefore is a way of just saying like in conclusion. 
Based on everything I've written now in chapters 14 and 15, he reiterates the command of chapter 14, verses 1 and 3, and says, Welcome one another the way that Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And here, once again, we have the glory of God coming in. The glory of God in verse 6, the glory of God in verse 7, the glory of God in verse 9. This is the goal of our unity, is the glory of God. It's the final goal of everything. We've already talked a lot about welcoming one another. We don't decide who is in the church. You don't decide, well, we're going to build a church for this type of person. You know, we're going to be the church for the white middle class people in southeast Nebraska. No, that's not how the church works. You don't have a church for white middle class people in southeast Nebraska. You've got a church for believers in Jesus Christ in southeast Nebraska. That's it. And when people try to divide up the body of Christ and try to attract a certain type of person and try to dissuade another certain type of person from coming to church, that is not the mind of Christ. God decides who is welcome in his family. We're not dividing up God's family along ethnic, racial, economic lines. And guard your heart. It's not easy to live with people who are different than you. And this is a family. And I've seen many Christians who are good Christians fail to have a heart that welcomes people who are different. In subtle ways. How do you treat people that come in the door that you're not comfortable with? May God give us more opportunities to be tested in this area. May our Father in Heaven bring us a boatload of people through that door who are very different from us and that we have to learn how to accommodate them and welcome them and be a family together. This would be a test of whether we just say we love God or whether we actually love God. Well, I'm going to save verses 8 through 13 for next week and I want to dwell on this last point a little bit more because in our application points, the first one here is really what we're talking about right now is that Christian unity overcomes ethnic divisions. We're talking about ethnic divisions. We're talking about people who grow up in, in different cultures, people who do things differently because there's a lot of diversity in this world that we live in, and there's a lot of diversity in the United States of America because this is a nation of immigrants. And so, while our culture here in Firth is somewhat monolithic, it's not exclusively so. And I'm very encouraged to find out that there's a Bible study that's going to be starting here in our church for those who speak Spanish to learn more about what the Bible teaches and to also learn English. And in the past, I have been proud of a number of you who have opened up your hearts and given your time to spend with those from a different culture. And I want to encourage all of you to have that mindset and that desire, that prayer for our church. We've got Hispanic families in our community that we're praying for them to come and be a part of our fellowship. Even though the language barrier is difficult, even though the cultural barrier is difficult, what matters is who is God calling into his family and how we can demonstrate to the world that unity. Colossians 3.11 says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. The ethnic categories, Greek and Jew, 
the economic categories of slave and free, even going out to the barbarian and the Scythian who were very culturally different and did not fit into Roman culture at all, Paul says none of that matters. What matters is Christ. Christ in the heart. Christ is all and in all. And so it's easy to talk about unity, but it's hard to actually live together. I was at a church down in Texas where I was candidating before I came here. and They had tried to have a Hispanic church meet in their building and to share their building, and it didn't work out very well. The different cultures clashed, different expectations, different ways of doing things. And so the solution was well, they built a separate building for the Hispanic church. They said, we built them their building, they can go worship God over there. So we're together apart. That's not good enough. We don't want to be together apart. The Living Life Reformed Church in town, right now we're together apart. But that's not good enough for me. My goal is to be together together. Not going to be easy. I'm not naive. I'm not foolish. But it's a goal that's worth working towards. It's a goal that's worth praying for. Let's pray. Lord God, just as we don't want our marriages to be together apart, you don't want your church to be together apart. Lord God, I pray that you would put within the heart of pastors the spirit of Christ that is not seeking to build our ministry, our name, our reputation, but is very willing to sacrifice those things in order to increase the glory of Jesus Christ in the unity of his church. Lord God, I pray that there would be genuine humility among Christians, that we would have a a spirit of self-sacrifice that is willing to give up our preferences, give up our comfort, give up our time, and to put difficult hard work into actually coming to the unity of the faith, to have a common understanding of what your will is for us in all things, so that your church might please you in all regards and that the Great Commission might be accomplished that all the saints here in Firth and all the saints around southeast Nebraska, that all the saints in the United States and around the world would observe all that Jesus Christ is commanding us in this present time for our good and for your glory. Amen.